and welcome to the Hot Copy Podcast, a podcast for copywriters all about copywriting. Today we're talking with fellow copywriter and podcaster Kira Hug. Kira is a conversion copywriter based just outside New York. She set up Kira Hug Marketing in 2014 and names the likes of Joanna Weeb as her mentor. And also, she used to love dressing up as a pirate. In today's episode, we're going to be comparing the lives of Australian and American copywriters to find out if it's all a bit easier in the US of A and why Americans are so obsessed with long, long sales letters. My name is Kate Toon. I'm a copywriter, the founder of the Clever Copywriting School and the Recipe for SEO Success online learning hub. And with me today is my co-host in sunny San Francisco, Belinda Weaver. Hello there. My name is Belinda Weaver. I'm also a copywriter. My business is Copyright Matters and I created the Copywriting Masterclass course. We're going to, I'm going to move the question until after I've introduced Kira Hug so that she can do the question too. Oh, great question. Yeah. New question. Woohoo! So today we are talking with Kira Hug. Kira, I'm going to do her bio again now, is a Brooklyn-based conversion copywriter who takes your copy seriously, but doesn't take herself too seriously. In past life, she worked with global brands like Estee Lauder and venture-backed startups like actionablebooks.com. And she's also the co-host of the Copywriter Club podcast. Hello, Kira. Hello. How are you? Uh, We're good. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to hang out. Well, we were just discussing the fact that it's quite late there and you've just had a nap. <laughs> I think it's lame that I couldn't just stay up until 11 p.m. my time. I had to squeeze in a nap, but I think that speaks to my early bird new routine that I wake up at the crack of dawn now. So oh, you, my whole routine is off. You're in good company because we're both nanas. We, we would love to take naps at, at any opportunity. Right, Kate? Yeah. I just took one then, actually. <laughs> she left us and came back. She's back. I did, I did. I did. And I'm just going to explain to the listeners that the naked chainsaw man is back. So previous listeners to the show will know that there is a man <laughs> who lives in the house behind me who gets out his leaf blower. That's not a euphemism. Every time we record a podcast. And I was explaining to Kira that one time in a fit of peak, I climbed up on a ladder, looked over the fence and saw that he was completely <laughs> nude while chainsawing. Which is kind of brave and and rad, I think, as well, but um, very annoying. So if you hear lots of bangs and noises, it's him naked doing stuff. It's not me naked. Now, did he see you see him? Does he know that you saw him naked? He did. Our eyes met for a brief moment. (laughs) Nothing nothing was said. I just silently climbed back down the ladder. I didn't know what to do. (laughs) It was a beautiful moment. Um, Anyway, um, so look, you may have listened to the podcast before, Kira, but you're probably too busy listening to your own podcast. But what we do at the start of every episode is we ask uh, a personal and possibly irrelevant question. So Belinda, since we have an American guest on the show, I'm going to ask you, this is such a stupid question. (laughs) Have you ever been to the US of A? It's such a stupid question because you're there right now. Because I live here. (laughs) <laughs> but I, I will answer it before I moved to America. No, I had not. And I have to admit, it wasn't really on my radar of places to go to until we decided Why to pack up. Why wasn't it on your radar? How horribly rude. <laughs> I'm offended. <laughs> yeah, that does 
that, sound, that does sound a bit offensive, but I've fallen in love with it since okay. being here. So you, you didn't like it and now you do. Still offensive, but that's good, fine. Good save. It's a good save. <laughs> I've been I've been to um, New York and to Baltimore. Um, oh. Yeah. Um, and I, t- I walked all the way through Baltimore from one side to the other. And then somebody told me after that I'd walked through some of the most murderous streets. Everyone <laughs> <laughs> was... Everyone was really friendly. Everyone was waving to me. I think they were waving. God knows what they were. <laughs> they were like, "Get out! <laughs> oh, go, go!" Yeah, um, I, I, I do like America. I would like to go back, but um, we shall see when it happens. And I, when I, you know, was writing the notes, it said you had lived outside um, New York, but Brooklyn's in New York, isn't it? Or is my logic a bit wrong? You know, you are correct. Um, I was living outside of the city uh, for a few years, so that probably was just older info. I was living in the country. I'm like the the weird city person that lives in the city, leaves to live in the country, and then comes back to the city. So I couldn't stay away, apparently. Well, that's interesting. We're going to talk a bit more about that in the episode. But I guess the good question for you is, have you ever been to Australia? I have not, and I'm I'm almost embarrassed that I've never been there because I I want to go, and I think I'm just waiting for an invitation, uh, or for an event to attend, uh, so I have a really good reason to make that trip. Hint, hint. No, I'm just <laughs> was that a strong hint? <laughs> it, was a, it was a fabulous hint. Um, and is Australia on your radar, or is it off your radar, like Belinda is with America? I know. <laughs> it is definitely on my radar. On the radar. On the list. On the list. On the list. Well, that'll make this discussion a lot easier then, I think. Right. Right. Exactly. Well, look, we're going to start in the way that we've... we've, We're going to continue in the way that we've started by continuing with the idiocy of this episode, it seems so far. But um, what is this pirate thing? When I Googled you, there were loads of pictures of you dressed up as a pirate. (laughs) I'm so I'm so proud of that. Um, so I'm actually dressed up as a pirate, even though it's 11 p.m. my time. I've got my pirate bandana, my pirate patch, and I do have a pirate hook next to me. So I was like, you know what? I'm dressing up for the occasion. Um, it's a special interview. I want to make sure I'm pirated out. Uh, so yeah, I'm decked out and. The pirate started because I'm a I'm a big fan of costume parties. I always have been. Love Halloween. Um, even at my wedding, we had pirate gear and forced all of our lovely guests to dress up as pirates um, on a boat ride. So I had extra costumes from our wedding. And when I started the business, I had to you know DIY the website. Had my husband take photos of me in the backyard and. The only thing I had was that pirate costume, so I threw it on and figured, why not? I'll stand out online. I won't look like any other copywriter. And so it started, and that kind of started my, uh, my weaving in costumes into my business world. I, I, can't, I can't tell you how much I love you. I think that's the best <laughs> thing I've ever, ever had. I actually wrote a book about a pirate. I might actually send you a copy. What? Okay, yeah. I did not know that. Oh, yeah, it's called... It's the best. It's the best children's story oh, ever. You. I'm actually getting a reprint, so this is actually quite serendipitous. This is why we had you on the show. No, I'm joking. Yeah, it's called. <laughs> it's about Wobbly Jim. Uh, it's about a pirate who has one leg and drinks dolphin wee. So <laughs> you'll enjoy I'll send. I'll send you a copy um, after this. Perfect. Yeah, I mean, I think there's something about being a pirate that makes you feel really confident too. So I think it helped me in the early days with my confidence. 
I want to um, I want to ask about this branding and because your website is fantastic. But first, I'd love to find out how you got started as a copywriter. Yeah. So, and what was what was the thing that happened that you fell into? Yeah, I think it's the thing that happens to a lot of people that I started. You know, my background is in visual communication, fine arts. I was always the artist growing up. And it wasn't until I you know, graduated from school and moved to New York City and needed to make money that I really kind of got into the sales world, marketing world, and, and really worked in marketing for the first part of my career. And I ended up at a startup where I was a marketing director and writing a ton of copy. And I wasn't really aware of the copywriting world. I knew of a couple people doing it, but I never thought that I could do it until a couple of my colleagues and you know a, a good friend, Alyssa Burkus, came to me and she said, hey, can you help me write the copy for my new website? And then other people came to me. And so um, really just from the marketing world, people paid attention to what I was doing with copy. And I definitely had the entrepreneurial bug. And I, as soon as I realized I could make money doing it, uh, I just jumped on it and slowly transitioned from this marketing role um, into my own business. And I did it very, very slowly. I didn't just jump. I pulled out, you know, went from full-time to part-time, part-time to contractor role until I finally was like, okay, I'm ready to do it and, uh, and made the jump. And, and was it terrifying when you finally made the jump? It, it was terrifying. I, I did feel, I mean, it was exhilarating and I just, I felt ready and I felt like I had enough leads coming in at that point that I could make it happen. But I, you know, I had to wait until that point where I was like, it's now or never, this is it. So I think once you, you have that feeling and you know, um, it, at that point, it almost feels like it's more harmful to stay where you are. So, Yeah. Absolutely. That's actually a pretty, I have some strong parallels there with my story because I was in marketing as well. And then I started writing a lot of copy as part of my marketing job. And then I found out about copywriting and I started my business, but I went from a full-time straight to a contractor, you know, I just freelanced out of the role. But there was that same moment where I was like, I need to go before I really don't like this anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I got, I got pregnant and, um, and had to leave. So that was that was it. I was one day I was working, next day I wasn't. And uh, uh, and and I always think, you know, those first six months when you are still, there's a bit of you thinking, well, I could always go back. I could always go back. Um, what what were the biggest challenges for you in those first six months? Well, like you, the, the pregnancy, I had a little, a two year old at the time, and when I was making this transition, I was also pregnant, and um, didn't have the easiest pregnancy. It could have been worse, but I. I was just overwhelmed and trying to take on that extra work through this transition, but also exhausted. And so I think during those first six months, it's just like very typical to just work your tush off, not quite knowing if it's going to work and putting up with a bunch of difficult clients, not all of them, but because you kind of think you have to say yes to everything. And I did say yes Mm -hmm. to everything. And now I look back and I'm like, that probably was good, but I could have said no and followed my gut and really listened to my intuition, which I just put to the side just to jump in fully. So I think you end up dealing with situations that you wouldn't even put up with now, and that probably was the most stressful part of it. Yeah, this 
that sort of intuition versus fear. That's one thing I found. Oh, I was like, yeah. oh, maybe, maybe it's not my gut. Maybe I'm just a little bit frightened. So <laughs> I'll, you know, I'll give it a go. And then you look back later and you go like, no, no, that was your gut. That was clear warning signs there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think it was fear for me. It was fear that if I said no, I would run out of work. So I had to say yes. I had to say yes to every opportunity. So I didn't run out of money or work and I could keep doing this thing I wanted to do. Yeah, mm, I'm gonna, absolutely. I'm going to interrupt now before we are, Belinda ask the next question. But um, the one thing I think though is that you know we have those challenges when we're starting out. But you've been you've been doing this for quite a while now, and I think the challenges are still there. They're just different. I do know that in those first six months, I never really worried about my competition. I never really felt I wasn't doing enough, or that I why didn't I, why don't I have a course and why haven't I written a book? I was just <laughs> right. You know, and then you, you go on and, and you start worrying about different things. So um, uh, it never gets easier, people. Give up now. <laughs> it's, it is true. I was thinking about that, too, just how there are just new challenges now, but challenges still exist. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Well, I want to I want to loop back to your branding because we, we started talking about your pirate styly. Um, and when I looked at your website, you know, you're talking about dressing up in costume and stuff like that. And your website is incredible and your branding is incredibly strong. And what I wondered, you know, was that something you, you started with straight away? How, like how long did it take you to develop the concepts and the branding that are, that is on your website? Um, and how has it helped your business? Yeah, it's such a great question because it, it has played such a huge role in, I think my acceleration, uh, you know, because I have that visual background, I've been interested in branding, um, you know, just throughout my college and training. Um, so when I stepped into the copywriting world, I noticed that that was kind of what was missing from a lot of the copywriters I was following. Um, and I've really tried to reverse engineer the people I saw that were successful. Why were they standing out? What were they doing? And Oftentimes, I found that it connected back to their brand. They had a really strong brand. So I did DIY it, like I mentioned. I had this basic WordPress website that I created myself with these pirate photos that were, like, you, you can find them if you Google my name. Um, they weren't terribly professional, but I did realize that that was working because it was attracting the right type of clients with these quirky photos and it was repelling the right type of people as well who I wouldn't want to work with. So I knew there was something to this whole weird kind of playful vibe that I wanted to bring into my brand uh, when I worked with and hired a professional and ended up working with Sarah and Calmo at Public Persona to work on my branding. So it was a long process of first DIYing it myself before I made that type of investment. And at that point, I already knew I was 100% committed to copywriting um, because when you make that type of investment, you have to be, you have to know. And I, I do suggest really kind of testing it before you jump into that. And from there, it was a long, you know, at least a year long process with her to really figure it out and integrate kind of my weird obsession with costumes and characters. And at the time, I was even going through an identity crisis of my own with these little kids and figuring out how my how do all these roles play into my business and my life as a new mom, as a business owner, living in this new this new town I had just moved. So I was going through something personally at the same time that the branding, um, I stepped into the branding process. And I would say that it, it changed my business. I know that um, all the successes I've had up until this point, I can trace back to that 
new brand that I've created and the type of people and clients it's attracted and um, how it helped me increase my rates and even land speaking engagements to a, a large, you know, onstage presentation this fall that I know I would not have landed if I didn't have a strong website and brand. Wow. I love yeah, I mean, if you'd said it was your first website, I probably would have wept. So I'm kind of a little bit happy that yeah. you're saying it took a long time because you, that's it's like a personal development, just as you said. You know, you, you're not confident. And, well, I know that when I've got my first website developed professionally by someone else, I didn't go through the whole brand development process like you did, but I did feel so much more confident in my writing as well. Yes, I think if you don't do that, you're doing yourself a disservice and you could lose a lot of money because you could realize, hey, this is actually not what I want or you want to go in a completely different direction and you've lost time and money. Yeah, yeah. I'd love, I read that the post, there was an a interview post, I think, with you and the lady who'd done your branding or um, we'll have to share that in the show notes for this because I thought it was was fascinating um, of how your brand had developed. So um, yes, we'll have to have to unearth that. Hopefully you know the post I'm talking about and we can find it and share it in the show notes. Um, I'm going to take a change of tack now away from personal branding and talk about, you know, we're interested to know like what life is like. Uh, <laughs> Very there, because although we know that um, Belinda is living there, she's not really an American, so we're not we don't get the truth from her. So, <laughs> um, you know, you're you're living in in Brooklyn, and you know, near, in near New York, which is obviously you know an amazing city. But where do you write? Do you do you write from home, or do you head into a, a cafe, um, and or do you um, have a little co working space that you visit? It's a mixture. I, I wish I had a co-working space, and I, I think that is the goal at some point. Uh, but I also don't want to leave my neighborhood, which, you know, I have, again, like I have these two little little kids, and so um, I try to stay close by so I know I'm not too far from their preschool and daycare. Um, so mostly I work from home. Um, I work from my kitchen table, and and I try to get out too. I get antsy. I like to be out. I love the energy from other people, which is probably why I love New York City. So I work from a lot of coffee shops um, and buy a lot of coffee and spend a lot of <laughs> local money. And I'm like, I should save this money. But I, I love to be out and about. But definitely for client calls, you cannot be at a coffee shop. So I'll, I'll circle back to my apartment, uh, my tiny little apartment in Brooklyn for those calls. Have you um, heard about Kate's She Shed, Kira? No. Please Ooh, tell me. Kate. Oh, yeah. I have, I have a little hut in my back garden, which um, I call it the Toon Cave. Um, so I, I built, <laughs> I know, I built it about sort of five or six years into my copywriting business um, when I was thoroughly sure that I was going to keep doing it. And it's my little, little home away from home. But I do get cabin fever. I get Toon Cave fever. Yes. And I find that going to a coffee shop, I don't get much done. Like I like to go to coffee shops and write blog posts and then obviously come home and rewrite them. But it just re-energizes you a little bit because you can go a bit crazy if you're on your own all the time, I think. Yes. And I should be more adventurous too in, you know, go to different neighborhoods in this huge city that I live in. I don't have to go far to really explore and kind of pick up new, new energy and new vibes um, and leave my, you know, leave my the block, <laughs> five block radius. Well, if you know what you like. Exactly. There's nothing um, wrong with that. Okay, we're taking a quick break from the pod now to talk about a great tool from our new sponsors, Jump Chart. 
Woohoo! Thank you, Jumptart. Yes, it's a website planning tool that helps you work out which pages you need and what to write on those pages. Well, I just use Word for that, so why do I need anything else? Well, it's all about the planning bit. Jumpchart helps you easily plan the copy using their sexy sitemap tool. The sitemap literally builds itself and you can add pages, you can drag and drop them. It's like a website, but naked. So imagine there were a blueprint for a website. This is what it would look like. You can navigate to every page, manage the metas and the titles and see the bare bones of your website plan before you even push your first pixel. I Some of these tools are a bit hard for me. So is this easy to use? Uh, yeah, this one's, even you could use this one, Linda. It, <laughs> it has a really simple interface, clean design, and I like it because it's completely distraction-free. You just write, and they have these really cool things called content stats, which include helpful numbers like word count, but also how many times you've used a certain word and the readability level of your copy. Well, that does sound awesome. I would use all of those things. So it sounds like you could use it for, say, a freelance copywriting project, but also maybe a book outline, perhaps. Um, and what about sharing? Could you share what you've done with a client? That's what I want to know. Yeah. yeah, you can. You can invite them to just, you can invite them to edit, risky, or you can invite them just to read your work. And then when you're done, you can export the entire project to a PDF or HTML. That does sound awesome. It's so awesome. It's a fun tool. It helped me quite a lot. All right. Where can I sign up? Well, it's free. There are paid plans, but we have a free plan too. Just pop over to jumpchart.com slash hotcopypodcast. Sign up today. And I'm going to say that again, people. It's jumpchart.com slash hotcopypodcast. And I think you're going to love it. Oh, and anyone who signs up for Jumpchart using the link in our show notes will receive 50% off their subscription for life. But you have to get in before the end of August 2017. All right, let's get back to the pod now, Kate. Um, well, you've talked to copywriters from all over the world on your podcast, which is called The Copywriter Club. Do you think there are some quintessentially American writing traits from an American point of view? Because we'll, we can tell you some. <laughs> I, well, I would love to hear yours. I think for me, um, when I have worked with clients um, outside of America, oftentimes there's pushback and I hear that I'm, I'm kind of too direct or too in your face. Um, I pre- I'm presuming that I know more about the reader than I should. And so usually it's more about being a little bit less direct and more nuanced um, and a little bit less in your face, which I don't do well. Like I do in your face. Um, so it usually doesn't work out as well for me. I'm like, I need clients who like in your face because that's just how I write. That's a really interesting thing because uh, that is pretty clear from your website. Like, that's <laughs> right. It's of not shocking. What you, say you offer. <laughs> right. There are no surprises. That's why uh, it's pretty clear. But I would love to hear from you what you've seen and what some differences are. Well, for me, I think, you know, I'm in a few of the, the US-based Facebook groups, including yours, although I don't think yours is an example of what I'm about to talk about. Um, there's a lot of big copywriting groups that seem to be very, I don't know, the vibe seems to be quite uh, quite aggressive, people being in <laughs> cutthroat. 
people being in copyright copywriting to make millions, which is not, you know, for the copywriters that I speak to over here, it's definitely more of a lifestyle choice to give them freedom. Money is not the goal. And also, and you know, I'm probably offending all our American listeners, but I don't mean to because um, I'm sorry if I do, but there's a big obsession as well with, you know, writing these direct sale, direct mail letters and sales letters and sales pages that are going to be 10 figures. I just earned five figures for writing a sales letter. And that, I have literally never heard an Australian copywriter talk <laughs> about that. Have you, Belinda? I mean, what do you think? No, no, I've I've never written a ten thousand dollars sales letter, <laughs> but I think I think content marketing really suits the Australian audience of copywriters, especially because there's there's kind of this backdoor way of selling. Yeah. Whereas I feel like the Americans are much more comfortable with that more direct approach of selling. Which, which is nothing wrong with that, but it, um, you know, I think I can see an Australian audience going, "Oh, that's that's a bit too direct," or Australian copywriters going, "Oh, I'm not quite comfortable being that forthright," which is why you know, creating valuable, insightful, relevant content kind of really suits us because we can be nice and friendly, and the sale just kind of happens <laughs> magically. It doesn't, of course, but right. What do you, what do you think, Kira? Yeah, I mean, I am in that bubble and I'm I'm kind of, I am guilty of it. I am obsessed. I am that copywriter that's obsessed <laughs> with sales letters and conversion copywriting. So uh, to me, even when I, um, even this question made me think, oh my goodness. So there are people who are not obsessed with sales letters and conversion <laughs> copywriting. I can't imagine that. Uh, so it's really just helpful to even hear that. Uh, but I think it's, you know, I think it's really coming from, more recently, what I've observed in these groups as well is that now, because of social media, we're all jumping into these groups together and we're starting to share information about our businesses, our rates, um, how we deal with clients, and all this information that maybe uh, we weren't sharing a decade ago. So now we know if we're not charging enough and we're becoming more obsessed because we're talking about the numbers more, which I think is a good conversation to have. But I can also see where um, new copywriters may become more obsessed with the numbers early on um, because that's what the conversation's about in a lot of these Facebook groups. Yeah, I think it is. And I, I mean, I do think there are differences in how you approach your audience in different countries. You know, I'm actually British, although I live in Australia. And the hard sell is just not something that goes down well with an English audience. You know, um, it, it's it's more about sense of humour and almost being quite abstract and there being a bit of a get. Yes. And I remember being, when I came from England to Australia and started working at Ogilvy in um, uh, Sydney, the advertising was literally like, this is beer, it tastes good, drink it. And we were like, well, what, what's the idea? Where, what's the idea? And I, and I remember the head of the agency, who I won't name, he's very famous, but saying, we don't need a, we don't need a bloody idea. We just need to sell the beer. And uh, it, that rhymes. But it was very much that kind of, we're just going to be straight talking. We're not going to, you know, be clever. They didn't like clever advertising. They didn't like conceptual advertising. They didn't like pushy advertising. It was just say what it is, say what it costs, and the people will buy it if they want to. Uh, I don't know. That's what I've always found. It's very different. Very different. And I also think in Australia, like, there's that kind of don't talk too much about yourself. Yes, you know, right. The poor poppy syndrome, whereas I think Americans are much more comfortable having that big noting quality because you, you have to promote yourself if you want to get ahead. But it's this really um, interesting difference between the cultures on, on you, you take it that one step too far and Australians will go, nah, 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 nah. <laughs> he thinks he's too big for his boots, he does. Yeah, and I, I think 
I think it's, it's great. And it would just, it's challenging for me. Once you go down that path, it's really challenging, at least for me to turn around and pull back a bit. <laughs> um, and I'd like to learn that because I think there's also an art to being more clever and a little bit less in your face. Um, but it takes a lot of work to pull back. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's, let's jump into the conversion copying a bit more. Um, you know, we mentioned Joanna Weeb is one of your mentors and we talked to her about conversion copywriting, which, which was a really interesting discussion. And I'd love to get some of your tips. So maybe, oh, hang on, mic's down, mic's down. I wondered if you could give us maybe three of your conversion copywriting tips that maybe you use a lot. Yes, I'd love to. And so I was thinking of what I've done recently that's helped projects um, end up more successful. Uh, so, you know, one for me is to create a focus group for each project. And uh, usually that consists of really pulling out interviews early on in the research process. So after I send a survey out, really targeting, you know, maybe six to eight people that I want to jump on a call with and interview um, to really pull out more insights and data and, and just really get to know them. And then circling back with the people that I interview who I know are perfect for this product or, you know, really match this particular uh, service that we're selling. And I'll circle back with them later in the process when I I have a draft of the copy um, and, and really rely on them for their insights and feedback around, you know, what really is pulling them into the copy, what's a big turnoff, um, what excites them, what's confusing. And when I've taken the time, because it does force you to build more time into your, your timeline, you can't do that last minute. Uh, it's, it's provided a lot of insights I would never have thought of, or even um, other copywriters and my colleagues would not have been able to think of because they don't live and breathe. They're not in that focus group. So I think uh, connecting to your audience intimately is really helpful to my process. Uh, number two, working closely with a designer. So I'm speaking to sales pages, like we said, more conversion copy. Um, typically, I'm working on a long-form sales page. And so I do have a background in design, but I do go into projects understanding I am not the designer. There is an expert here. Um, so how can I work really closely with them so that this entire page is focused on the sale? And um, part of that is me giving the right guidance. Maybe it's a wireframe or at least giving the direction, kind of like the design direction to the designer so they know what's important on this page, what we need to emphasize in order to really persuade and working with them closely as well, building those relationships so it's not like we're fighting throughout the project. Uh, and that's helped some of my more successful projects when I have that strong relationship. And the last yeah. tip I would share is just to prove everything. And, and this is actually something I learned from Joanna Weeb as well. Um, you know, anything that you're stating on a sales page, you need to be able to prove it in multiple ways. And so I think I typically go overboard with my proof and I need to end up pulling out some of it in the, in the final copy. But um, I think just being able to back up everything you're saying for those skeptical readers, uh, that will go a long way as well. Great tips. I love those. I, I'm a big, big fan of proof. And um, that's, that's one of the tactics that I use a lot. But I think, again, you know, conversion copywriting isn't as much of a thing over here. It's, it's it, uh, you know, there aren't, I could, I could name an Australian conversion copywriter. I don't know if Belinda could either. Um, no, so, you know, uh, and I think it's those relationships, like you said, um, Kira, I think for many copywriters in Australia, we don't have 
any chance to be part of a project all the way through because we're not in-house. So we don't necessarily have those connections and relationships to see to see the copy beyond when we've written it. We don't necessarily have the connection oh, with the designer or we can't um, play with the copy or get those focus groups. But I, I love that idea of um, getting a few people in that audience to be part of the collaboration of the copywriting. I think that's really smart. Yeah. I agree. And, and if, if our Australian listeners and our listeners around the world want to learn more about conversion copywriting, are there any go-to books or resources that you would recommend? Yeah. So, of course, I'm going to plug our podcast, mostly because we interview a lot of conversion copywriters. And actually, it's something that we want to we want to actually make sure we're pulling in um, a more diverse group of uh, copywriters and maybe be slightly less conversion focused, because at this point, it's been highly conversion focused. Um, so if you are interested, that could be helpful. Also, uh, you know, you had Joanna on, but anything that Joanna and Copy Hackers offers. That's where I have received most of my training. And so I, I really believe in all of her products and training programs. I also uh, follow Conversion XL. There's a Conversion XL Institute that focuses heavily on conversion rate optimization. And you can kind of really go down that rabbit hole if you're interested in that side of things. And I would say the last one is uh, I really like Ben Settle's stuff. So he has a a subscription called Email Players that I subscribe to. Just He has a lot to share about persuasion and just the principles of email marketing and sales that I, I find really helpful just as far as furthering your, your education in that space. Awesome. We'll have to put links to those in the show notes. That was a bit of a answer. Yeah. We'll hit you up for links to all of those, Kira, and we'll, we'll add them to the show notes. Great. So in the intro, yeah. Estee Lauder was mentioned, very glamorous. Um, but what, what type <laughs> of clients are you working with these days and, and what type of clients do you prefer? Yeah, and the, the funny thing about Estee Lauder is that, you know, of course I'm a marketer, so I, I know when to name drop and I've gotten really good at that. Like all of us, we know where to insert these <laughs> names. Um, so it, it was a glamorous role. But before that, I didn't mention that before that I was in a role where I was selling cars and washing cars and selling car insurance. And it was not glamorous. It was actually a really hard job. Um, so I was strategic about dropping that name in. Um, but at this point in my career, I'm working with um, you know more personality-based uh, business owners who have businesses, you know, and seven-figure businesses typically where they have a team and they can bring in a conversion copywriter for to launch their programs and products. Um, those are typically the clients I'm working with now where I'll support them on a launch and then come back for the next launch. Um, so I, I enjoy working with clients that kind of want to be a little bit more weird and want to share more of their personality with the world and maybe haven't done it yet. And so they're kind of ready to be more vulnerable through and do it through their sales copy. I have a quick question about those kind of clients um, because they are amazing to work with. Have you ever had a client who goes, oh, yes, I want to be bold. I want to get my weird out. And then you write the copy and they go, oh, no. No, actually, we because <laughs> yeah, I've had that experience. I know other copywriters have as well. So they, they ask you for one thing and then they don't really. Do yes. I did early on. I feel like I had more of those uh, experiences early on. And now I feel like 
I'm at the, the kind of the sweet spot where the people coming to me kind of know what my strengths are because they're through referrals. And so they're, they're ready. And I do try to push, push it as far as I can. And sometimes we have to, you know, pull back a bit and, and reveal a little bit less, but I'm usually looking for those juicy stories that they may have thought they should never share publicly. And I'm like, let's position it this way and let's share this with the world. I think it's really interesting. Cool. So you kind of encourage I them along. Yes. Yeah. I think it helps to have someone who's, who is encouraging you because when you are the business owner, you don't know. I mean, most of it seems like it's TMI and, and, um, you need that person to say, no, no, I see there's a story in here that connects to your audience. And so I think you kind of need that cheerleader at times in the copywriter to get those stories out there. I think that's a big argument, again, for having clear branding so that people know what they're going to get from you as a copywriter. Um, right. You know, I have a lot of copywriters saying, oh, I really would like to kind of be write more fun, conversational copy. And then I look at their own sites and there was no impression of that from <laughs> their own site. And also I think the point you made there about, you know, they want a cheerleader. They want to do these things. You need to give them the confidence. So it's so important as a copywriter that you're willing to be confident about the recommendations that you're making um, so that the client can feel that they can trust you as the expert and the person they're paying. And they can take your advice and do what you want them to do. I, I think that's a good thing. Yes. Um, <laughs> I'm going to jump around a bit now. I, I wanted to talk about um, your business buddy, Rob Marsh, who you run the uh, podcast with and your course with. How did that relationship develop? Yeah, it's, I, I love that question. And when I heard his name, I, you know, a big smile uh, appeared on my face. He's a really good, good guy and great partner in business and become a good friend. Uh, we met in Joanna's mastermind group she had hosted through Copy Hackers. It was her first mastermind that the two of us jumped into. And by now she's, I think she's in her third mastermind at this point, but Rob and I were in the first two. And so of course, I'm always the person in the mastermind who's like, I want to connect with every single person on Skype and build these relationships. So I, I forced him to hang out with me on Skype to get to know each other early on. And so we connected and I always respected him and, um, I just like the way he was showing up in the group and in the world, really, and always went to him for advice and just I trusted his judgment. And he came to me, I guess, I don't know, 18 months into that relationship, a year into the relationship with the idea for a podcast in a community. And I had already had a podcast. I uh, have experience in building communities. So it seemed like a good fit. And so far, you know, I would say partnerships freak me out a bit. I'm not a commitment person. Um, I'm, you know, <laughs> amazed that I'm married. I'm not a good commitment person, but I always think if it, if you can keep it easy and it feels good and like it works, then it's, it just, it works. And so far the relationship has been good and easy. And I think we complement each other well. So we're, we're building this community and podcast together and we're just going to see where it takes us. Oh, that's a nice story. <laughs> I, I want you I want you put in just sitting there thinking yeah I wish it yeah. worked that well I was like oh, 
there was a big pause there, wasn't there? Kim? There, was, there was a pause. There was a pause. Yeah. We, we all heard it. No, I mean, I agree with you. I'm not somebody who likes to do things with other people. I like to kind of do things on my own, and it is quite challenging working with someone else. And you know, they've got a different way of doing things. But as you said, if you can try and work out how that can complement, you can complement each other. Then it then it's great. Um, you know, Belinda and I have been doing this podcast now. I think it's two yeah, years. Yeah, some kind of anniversary like that coming up. I think we're working wow that's a that's a big anniversary yeah and it's it's not easy you know like sometimes Belinda's busy or I'm busy you know life changes babies have come along and you know naked chainsaw men and uh (laughs) you know you have to ride it all out but it it is it is amazing um anyway I think it is Belinda clearly doesn't (laughs) (laughs) so so what's what's coming up next year what's in store for you Kira Oh, okay. So, um, you know, continuing to grow the podcast with Rob and also for me, continuing to find clients that really excite me. Um, I feel like I'm working with a solid group now, but I'm always looking for kind of the next client that I'm just really excited about. Um, I do feel lucky that at this point I can be pickier. It's like that stage that we all want to get to. And I feel like I'm finally in it where I can be choosy about the people I work with and in a way that I wasn't able to at the beginning. And so that feels wonderful. Uh, And I am speaking at a big event in October, which is my first big, you know, onstage presentation in front of a thousand people, which, you know, is no big deal to a lot of people on the speaking circuit. But for me, it's my first big one. So um, I'm preparing for that. And I'm sure I will show up in costume in Las Vegas (laughs) to this particular event. Um, But I'm preparing for that and then just figuring out you know, what new projects will fit under my Kira Hug media umbrella because I do want to embrace my weird and figure out what's next there. Embrace my weird. I love that. That's going to be the meme. What event are you speaking at? What's the name of the event? Um, It's the wedding MBA event. So it's for wedding professionals that want to grow their business. Awesome. That's great. A huge audience of potential customers. As well. yeah, yeah, exactly. Don't mess it up, right? <laughs> yeah, and I'm sure you'll be fantastic. Um, well, look, Kira, thank you so much uh, for being on the show. It's been an absolute hoot. Um, and we will include a link to your podcast, your community and all the other various bits and bobs in the show notes. Um, and I'll send you my pirate book, more importantly. That, that is more. That is the most important part of this conversation. I need that pirate book. Um, thank you for having me. This has been really fun. I want to hang out with both of you uh, in person soon, and so I'm excited to see you at some point. Well, hopefully, we could all either hook up in Australia or in America at some yes. point. Fabulous conference at someone else's expense. Yes, please. <laughs> yes, please. Sounds great. <laughs> Um, well look regular listeners will know that at this time of the show we read out a review and today we're giving a shout out to Chief White Rabbit what's an excellent iTunes name and their review said excellent open honest and informative discussions for copywriters I found this podcast super helpful and I'm always checking in to see when a new episode has arrived terrific resources for copywriters at any stage of their career thank you Chief White Rabbit and thanks to you for listening if you like the show don't forget to leave a rating or review on itunes and stitcher and subscribe so you'll be notified when new episodes come out your review will help others find us and we will give you a shout out on the show you can also head to hotcopypodcast.com and leave your comments on the blog post for this episode so thank you kira and thank you belinda thank you kate thank you kira thank you 
She's, she's gone to sleep again. <laughs> Until next time, everyone, happy writing. So you're still listening? Great. Because I wanted to tell you about my new podcast, The Recipe for SEO Success Show. Sadly, this one's just me, Kate Toon, but it is packed full of useful, practical, doable SEO tips and advice. You can find it in the iTunes store, on Stitcher and SoundCloud. Just search for The Recipe for SEO Success Show. Naked Tainsmore Man, I've got somebody with a leaf blower who literally just appeared, like, what the F? And then they're knocking down a house next door. And they seem to have, they're not just knocking down a house, they've invited all their friends over to, like, drink beer while they knock down the house and shriek <laughs> and laugh. It's like it's a sport. It's honestly, I've been sitting in my house just shouting explosives at the wall. <laughs> <laughs>